You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. How much can a player really grow in one offseason? Does getting in the weight room automatically equal more strength? I bring on fitness expert Ross Reed to answer these questions and more on this episode of Bear With Me. What is going on, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, right here on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network. And today I've got a treat for you guys because I have brought on none other than Ross Reed, a fitness expert and biomechanics guru, let's say, who is going to be here to answer some questions that I feel like all of us Bears fans it would be good for us to know because if there's something that I've never really understood Ross getting straight to the meat of the matter, it's that there's nothing fans like to say in the off season more than I'll put him in the weight room and get him better at this. People have been saying that about guys like Charles Leno, may he rest in peace for eons now about Charles or about Leno developing his strength. Now we're hearing it about players like Cole Kmet, Sam Mustafer, Alex Bars, all over the roster, if there's a player with a weakness, especially an athletics weakness, you're hearing, put him in the weight room, get him training on this. And I would love to ask you a couple questions about how much of that is realistic, what we should expect, mm-hmm. and so on. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks for having me on. Shout out to you guys. Um, you know, I love Lester, I love EJ, and the, and the rest of the Women's City Gridiron team. So happy to be here, but let's do it. Awesome, man. Well, let's dive into, I think, my favorite case when it comes to asking about this. We'll start off with none other than Sam Mustafer. The UDFA out of Notre Dame that the Bears picked up about two years ago, if memory serves, that suddenly got his shot to be a starting center, and the Bears seem enamored with him. Now, getting down to brass tacks, if there was something that I noticed on Mustafer's film, he played a little bit light in both the good way and maybe the not-so-great way, where he was fleet of foot, he was really good at getting to those inside zone assignments at the second level and making sure that he was in the right spot but bigger NFL nose tackles seem to have their way with him and in talks with Lester I know he talked about how if he could take a big step forward in his core strength and other strength related let's say attributes that his play might see an improvement but as far as you know when it comes to a 22 to 24 year old man how much can really change in one offseason and if Mustafer hit that starting center let's call it weight pattern do you think we would see an improvement or are we very likely going to get the same player with a little bit better technique yeah I I think it depends you know a lot of these guys I you know kind of to what you touched about which is like a lot of people think that more strength or 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 more weight is always the benefit but a lot of times you know a a lot of just athletes in general from you know Sam Mustafer to even I can talk about LeBron James. A lot of guys like playing a little bit lighter. They like playing uh, leaner. It allows them to, um, you know, be better conditioned during the game, and, and they feel like they can move better, uh, you know, especially in the case of Mustford, 
from level one to two. I think what we're talking about here, especially with offensive linemen, is you have to identify the difference between strength versus power. And, you know, his strength is kind of like his ability to, um, you know, be able to hold up at the line of scrimmage against a, a, maybe a bigger uh, nose tackle uh, or, or be able to move the guy to the side a little bit. But for me, I, I think that Mustafer, where his, um, you know, kind of where, where he can get better at is just getting more powerful, right? In, in other words, what I'm trying to say is if he can be able to be more explosive off the line of scrimmage and kind of beat somebody to the point of attack and knock them off their uh, off their spot before they, they start to knock them off his spot, then all of a sudden he starts to excel more. And, and so you want to see him get more powerful. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he needs to um, – you know, bench press more or, or add 10 to 15 pounds more in the weight room or anything like that. So that's really, really interesting. So basically, just to make sure I heard you correctly, it's about trying to make sure that you're, he's not initially moved, having to re-anchor himself, let's say, and instead can get more power out of his initial stance so that he doesn't lose that primary engagement. Right, that's correct. Because, you know, say, for example, I, I'm not sure where he's at weight rise right now. Right? Let's throw a, a number out there like 260 pounds. If he's 260 pounds, but the nose tackle in front of him is maybe, you know, 290, 300 pounds, sure, that nose tackle um, is probably going to be able to, to overpower him in the long term and, and lean on him more. It might even be a little bit stronger than him. But in the initial two to three seconds off the snap of the football, if Sam is the more powerful football player, and he still can be at the lighter weight, he's going to win the point of attack every single time. And, and I think that's where, you know, you look at for, especially for young offensive linemen, like at the age of 22, 23 years old, he's probably in his peak physical strength. Um, you know, he can, he can get power, but I mean, he can get stronger, but where he's at right now in terms of his strength is probably where he's going to like, you know, peak out at. Um, and then it, it, it could, you know, maybe decline from there, um, you know, depending on injuries and wear and tear and stuff like that. But Sam definitely has more room to get powerful. And, and, and people can tend to, to gain power as they go well into their 30s and, and stuff like that. In fact, you know, just in the fitness industry alone, um, you know, we always focus on power as you get older because that's the thing that tends to be gone the fastest. The strength will stay there for quite a bit. It's the, it's the power that goes fastest as you start to get older. And if you don't use it and, uh, and develop it and hone it. That's so interesting. So this is exactly why I take it athletes are so focused on improving their technique is because what you're talking about is like you're saying, maybe he moves from, let's say, 350 to 375 over an offseason as far as maxing out on the bench. But that doesn't really make as much difference as maybe being able to get maximum power out of his stance every single snap, right? That's correct. So, you know, it, you know, you see you talk about the bench press, right? And a lot of, uh, a lot of people equate bench press to, to, uh, to strength of the better athlete. I know we do the bench press in the combine, but even if you look at the combine, what's the number that they're bench pressing the combine? It's 225 pounds. It's not 315 pounds or 375, right? To be quite frank with you, uh, Robert, I could take any 300 pound fat guy. He's probably going to be able to put up 315, five to 10 reps, right? He's just, <laughs> he's going to be able to push the same amount of weight he is, right? We do 225 at the combine for as many reps you can and as explosive as possible because that right now is the bigger metric of power. And that's what these NFL teams want to see. So, you know, I, I know the video of Eddie Goldman was going around last week that everybody got super excited about, right? 
and Eddie was doing a power movement, which means that he tells me he's getting ready to come back to football. Eddie's always going to be strong. Even five years after he retires, he's going to be strong. But Eddie was bench pressing eh, maybe about 135, 175. I couldn't remember the weight on there, but he had a band strapped to the, to the barbell, and he was just working on his explosive movements. And that okay. lets you know, all right, this guy's ready to come back. When somebody's, when an athlete, especially a lineman, is really working on their power, uh, you know, he's ready to come back. So, you know, as we circle all the way back to Sam, that's where I see the biggest development of where he can kind of get better at is being able to get quicker off the ball. He's actually use your lighter size and, and lighter weight to get quicker and more explosive off the ball, but then also improve your power so you can knock back alignment a, a, a nose tackle even though he's a little bit bigger than you bigger than you and then get to the second level where again kind of like that that smaller size is going to be able to kind of come in handy against maybe a 240 pound 250 pound linebacker makes sense to me and you know i looked up sam's height and weight as we were talking about it looks like sam's 6 2 3 11 so okay. there is a lot of power to be able to be generated out of that frame because he's not playing at 290 so exactly mm-hmm. like you're talking about i mean look all i could really contribute to this is that i was an engineer in school and the number one thing you learned in physics was that an object at rest is more like it's it wants to stay at rest and an object yes. in motion wants to stay in motion the concept of inertia all that jazz and i see it apply to the football field when it comes to whether it's run blocking or pass blocking that if you can stonewall your defensive tackle at the line you're a lot less likely to get worked backwards whereas if you give up that initial step you're on your way all the way back to the quarterback and in both mustafer and charles leno's case sometimes that meant all the way past the quarterback in terms of the defensive lineman just getting all or getting really deep like you're saying, it'll be really interesting to see in, I mean, as soon as preseason and camp, let alone the regular season, whether Sam's been able to generate a little bit more of that power. And frankly, you make it sound like it's a lot more possible than, let's segue into our second topic, a guy like Cole Kmet suddenly improving agility scores. Is that right. in the realm of reality or is a guy about as agile as he's going to be when he's 260 pounds? So, you know, again, it, great, it comes back to, you know, where is Cole the most comfortable comfortable at weight-wise um, versus, versus like, I guess it comes back to what kind of football player does Cole Komet want to be and what kind of football player do the Bears want him to be, right? Do they want him to be, you know, as explosive maybe as, as like a Travis Kelsey, you know, coming down the field or even like Zach Ertz or something like that, um, who, you know, th- those guys are going to be able to beat you one-on-one down the field. They're, they're essentially – bigger wide receivers that are able to get explosive within the first two to three seconds off the break down the field. Right now, it doesn't look like Cole Komet has that kind of ability. Maybe if he dropped a little bit of weight and he kind of worked on more of his um, explosive sprints, explosive back jumps, explosive ability coming out of the break right away, he could get there. But, you know, do you want him to be a super physical guy that's going to be able to manhandle somebody and kind of muscle off a linebacker and then get open, you know, right around the 15 to 20 yards area, you know, down the field. It really depends on the kind of football player he wants to be uh, and the Bears want him to be. I would say right now, looking at Cole Komet, he's like right in the middle to me. He's 50-50. He, he is a very strong young man. It looks like just from pictures of him in, in tight end camp. Uh, in, uh, I think tight end U, baby. Tight end yeah. university. <laughs> that Nashville, it looks like he got even stronger, right? Um, 
and so that's a good thing. That means he's going to be able to kind of, you know, no safety should be able to to hang on his back shoulder or on his back hip and be able to hang there. He should be able to push those guys off and muscle them off. If can he beat, let's say he was going against Roquan Smith, right? Can he beat Roquan Smith down the field, who's clearly a more explosive athlete than Cole Komet is? Um, and, and that's where I say it's kind of 50-50 for him right now. But maybe that's not the guy he he is. You know, maybe he's more of a Heath Miller type of guy who's just going to be able to, uh, you, you know, be a cagey guy and use his footwork and use his strength to get open. Um, but I, I say he's 50-50 because, again, Cole it was last year was just learning how to be a, an NFL football player, right? And he's coming from a school where, you know, quite frankly, Notre Dame is, is not in a major conference. They're going to play a lot of subpar, you know, opponents. He's going to play against a guy, you know, 80% of time guys he's just physically bigger and and better than and and then when you get to the nfl that changes so now he's got to see where his game adapts and 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 how you know he's going to be i'm not going to close the book on him being uh, a more explosive football player but i do think it's going to be a bigger uphill uh challenge for him just because that's not in his initial dna like that's just not in his uh, initial genetic you know uh frame It makes all the sense in the world. I mean, like you're talking about, if there's anything I'm already starting to pick up from this conversation, it's that that ball of clay we like to tell ourselves that a rookie is a 22 to 24 year old man hitting the NFL is about as athletic as they're going to get. They don't get more athletic. Maybe they look more athletic because they're more confident. They're more comfortable. Take a wide receiver coming out of his stance. They don't misplace footwork as much, which makes them look faster because they get into their break a little bit quicker but it doesn't mean that they got faster they just got more comfortable and to use the words you use with sam mustafer they're able to generate more power out of that same raw strength in cole Komet's case i know what gets really interesting is that tight end in particular seems like a position in flux in the nfl where some people want to see that zach Ertz type player who let's use the antithesis of what a u tight end is right it's trey burton who is barely a tight end Like he's a guy who uh, you could list him as wide receiver. Nobody would have known the difference. I mean, he would have been a pretty big wide receiver, but the fact that he played tight end, he was about as light as you could get, but he moved really well. He was about as fluid as Zach Ertz was. And then you take, we were on the same brain when you said Heath Miller, thinking about Cole Kmet makes me think the bears probably don't want him to give up enough weight to where he can't take on a Frank Clark on the edge as an extra protector in 12 sets or 11 sets they want to be able to use him as a plus run blocker or a plus pass blocker if he can develop that technique and that probably means that let's use your example of taking on roke one he's going to become more of one of those body box out tight ends that's never going to really try to get crazy separation he's just going to try to move to the right place at the right time a la jason witten though that's a pretty big name to staple cole commit to let's not get out or in over our heads yet is is this starting to make sense it makes perfect sense. I, I think to add on to that is, you know, we got spoiled in, in this generation by seeing a lot of dynamic athletes turn into tight ends, right? And I think people have to remember, Travis Kelsey is, he's a unicorn riding a rainbow. Like that, that's, he's just a freak athlete playing that position that quite frankly, you're just not going to get nine times out of 10. You know, I, I grew up, I'm almost 40 years old. I, I grew up watching, you know, Jay Novacek and, and, and Ben Coates and, and, you know, guys like that who, you know, you, you talked about Jason Wynn, guys who were, you know, obviously, you know, a little slower, not dynamic athletes, 
Um, but guys who really worked on their craft, really worked on their football work, were super strong football players and used their route running and ability to get to a spot to, um, to, to make it seem like they were faster or had more power. Um, you even mentioned, you know, you talked about it earlier, you hit it spot on. Jerry Rice was that football player. Jerry Rice, not a fast wide receiver by any means, right? But he, he worked his tail off, and he was a very smart, cerebral football player that knew how to, uh, to, to, to use his body and, and use his, his agility and get to a spot, whereas Randy Moss could just flat out outrun you down the football field. To put it more in terms of local terms, um, you know, Brandon Marshall was the same kind of guy for me. Brandon Marshall, a lot stronger football player, but a lot smarter football player, in my opinion, um, as a wide receiver than, let's say, um, explosive. Right. I mean, you, t- you talk about how speed isn't everything. If I was going to summarize that real fast, I mean, think about it. The Bears' two primary deep threats over the last three years have been Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson. Neither of those guys are burners. They're not Tyreek Hill, and I'm not trying to forget about Darnell Mooney. He just doesn't help me make my point. The We've seen years and years now, I guess probably mainly 2018 and 2019, of Trubisky sees Anthony Miller deep, throws to Anthony Miller deep. The two can't make the connection, but Miller was open. Technique can, in many cases, like you're talking about, help you get downfield. And no, you're not running an 80-yard touchdown pass or an 80-yard touchdown route, but not everybody does. Like you're talking about, you don't need to be Taylor Gabriel fast to be effective. And it's really interesting thinking about how all of like how the body mechanics and how much technique in is important in getting all of the strength possible out of you and so on and so forth. Now, this does bring up a specific player that I bet you know I'm going to talk about where I, I'm hearing these reports that David Montgomery is added and I'm I'm quoting as best I can here, a mile and a half per hour to two miles per hour to his sprint speed. Do you think that his his strength and conditioning coach just helped him get lighter? Or do you really think that he retaught David how to run? Like, tell me about this. Is this is this garbage or should I be excited? It's it's not garbage. It, it can definitely happen. I, I think it could definitely happen in a player like, um, you know, coming from David Montgomery's position. Um, just because I, I always look at, you know, I look at the at NFL athletes or just athletes in general, especially running backs. And those those guys just have a God given ability and, and a freak of nature talent to just be able to carry the football, see the hole and, and, and find yards. Right. It's the special ones that have the breakaway speed and, and be able, able to kind of break away and get into a touchdown. But you can always re, you know, these guys, I say they have a guy given, you know, talent. These guys just showed up on the field at a young age and just started doing these things and then just got good at it over time. But if they were never taught to how to kind of properly run, have a good run gate, how to use your, you know, your, your, your pelvic and your pelvic tilt and your velocity and not be so quad dominated to get downhill, you could eventually get more speed out of where you're running and, and be able to get down there. And I'm pretty sure his um, strength and conditioning coach probably worked on his diet. Again, that's a big thing with, with a lot of young athletes in general is, is again, these guys are God-given, just freaks of nature, uh, you know, gifted athletes. And so they don't you know, necessarily have the best diets. And they were able to just practice the little thing, kind of like just getting out of a break. A lot of what sprinters do with the Olympics. Remember, a sprinter only runs for eight, nine, ten seconds at a time. And he's done for like an hour or two hours, right? Because he's, you know, as he's practicing, 
is working on explosive ability, not necessarily getting stronger, and just how am I going to start the run, and then also how am I going to finish it the last eight to nine seconds. It's definitely possible, you know, to kind of switch sports a little bit. It was something that I, you know, as you look at um, somebody's functional movement pattern, which is what we talk about a lot in fitness, especially with athletes. Um, you want to be able to assess those things and then see where you can kind of tweak a little bit to get better. It's something that I always looked at with Zion Williamson in basketball. And, and then you see kind of the injuries that pile up with those guys as well. They're freaks, they're freak athletes. They just were never taught how to properly run and then use their ability to kind of get downhill and, and keep themselves healthy, but be more explosive. That makes sense. So when it comes to things like running and injuries, I mean, there's there's a million questions that I have. Like, for instance, is there some truth to the idea that maybe somebody could have retaught Emmanuel Hall how to run such that he didn't seem to run himself into injury consistently? And in Montgomery's case, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that he might have needed to get taught at this level because one thing that's easy to forget is that when David Montgomery was in high school, nobody was asking, does he have enough breakaway speed? He's just the best player on the field. When David Montgomery's at Iowa state, nobody's asking, does he have enough breakaway speed? He's just the best player on their team. It takes getting to the NFL. It reminds me of Justin Fields to make a quick corollary. It's sometimes hard to tell whether these quarterbacks can read quote unquote read defenses well enough when the defenses aren't that complicated and the throws are all open I mean in Justin Fields's case and I'm not like there's plenty of conversation to be had about Fields I don't want to derail this too much but it's that idea of you don't know you need to work on it until you're put in a situation where your God-given talent isn't enough just out of the box I know when I was in high school I was not that kid with God-given talent. So I had to work to milk every bit of like speed and agility that I could out of my five, 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 six frame. I doubt that that's an abnormal like story for you because that's tons of high school athletes. Dave Montgomery wasn't me though. And so it will be interesting to see if that carries. Cause I know David Montgomery has been nothing short of a buzzsaw at the second level. Like when he can engage a linebacker or a safety, he's a different player than when he, or than when he's trying to just squeeze through the hole. So if he does have that little bit of extra speed to burst through the hole and get downhill, who knows? We really could see the revenge tour that I know he's talking about on social media. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the kind of like, you know, put a cap on that, the, the, good, the good players will rely on their talent and, and they'll work to get better. But you see guys like, like David Montgomery and even Justin Fields, it's the great ones that recognize they're humble enough that they know they have this amazing God-given God talent. But they're like, I want to get better in the little nuances within the game and how to use my, my skill set my God-given ability as a, as a freak athlete to just kind of tweak things and get a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit skinnier in the hole. Or, you know, how can I put that football, uh, you know, on, on a guy's back hip when the linebacker's hanging on the right side or anything like that? Uh, those are the things that, that makes, you know, some of these athletes go from good to great to special. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see the, the changes that David Montgomery has made to his game. Um, you know, and I'm excited to see Justin Fields and how he's going to respond from you know college to preseason to hopefully you know a 10 plus year vet in the nfl for the bears sounds awesome man well let's step aside for our sponsors real fast but after the break i would love to ask you about let's call it the scarier side of physical health injuries risk how to prevent and what we should see forward talk to you then 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And we are back with Bear With Me. I'm here with Ross Reed, fitness guru and biomechanics expert, who's walking us through a whole lot of the ups and the downs and the truths and the myths of physical fitness. Now, I know one thing that people talk about all the time, like for instance, let's use Darnell Mooney as an example, is frame. And if Darnell Mooney at 190 pounds is an example of a player that might be a little small for the NFL, Justin Fields seems like exactly the opposite. At 235, he is much heavier than most quarterbacks his size. Does weight equal eat better injury resilience? Like, is there is there truth to that? Or is it about how you take the hits, the situations you put yourselves in? Like, talk me through how, how much I should be holding my breath whenever either player goes down. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, big guys get hurt, <laughs> just like the little guys. And they'll get hurt just as fast or, or the same way as little guys, right? You know, the size or weight does not equate uh, durability or anything like that. Um, it, it, it comes down to um, how you take care of yourself. What does your recovery look like? What does your diet look like? And, you know, how smart you are, you know, from a mental standpoint to know I can't take this hit or I need to fall a certain way or anything like that. You know, we've seen players throughout their careers, big, big, you know, players. I remember, like, even a guy like LeVar Arrington for the Washington, uh, you know, the the, the former Washington R's, um, who was about as big a linebacker as I've ever seen coming out of Penn State. And the guy, you know, just looked like a future Hall of Famer. He just couldn't stay healthy. You know, he's a huge football player. And then I look at a guy like, you know, maybe it's, you know, Javon Curse or something like that, who they call him the freak because he looked more like a, more like a, you know, like a, a small forward in the, you know, in the NBA. And that guy's in camp. He's in the Hall of Fame. And so, those things don't normally uh, equate to uh, long-term durability. Even like, you know, you look at Cam Newton, right? Cam Newton was so big, and I think he was too big that he relied on his strength too much, and his teams relied on his strength too much, and he just broke down. There, there shouldn't be, we shouldn't be at the point in Cam Newton's career where he's essentially uh, at a crossroads and, and, and maybe on his way out of football. But I think the guy just took way too many hits because we thought that because he was so big, he was going to be okay. That's not the case. Okay, so there's some truth then to the idea that recovery can only take you so far. Hit, like hit total, the, the amount of hits that a player has taken might kind of work like an odometer, where in, in a guy like Cam's case, he took so many hits that it quickly contributes to his body not being able to take too many more. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, look at, you know, Cam is like that, right? You, you know, we talk about Robert Griffin III, who we thought was going to be the Ugh. next up-and-coming quarterback. He, he was the same way. 
was never really the same after that big hit he took in the playoffs after even coming off the injury. Um, you know, we talk about running backs now being a commodity uh, just because football players in general are bigger, stronger, faster than they've ever been. So imagine how many collisions they take week after week after week and your body's just going to wear down. We can even circle back. We're talking about tight ends. I feel like tight end is now being the, like the, the lifespan of a tight end in the NFL is just being shortened by one or two years, like every few years, because these guys are just taking a beating at the point of attack, play after play after play, snap after snap, and week after week. And these guys just aren't holding up anymore. You know, I remember, again, circling back, we talked about, you know, even guys like Mike Ditka or Jay Novacek or, you know, name some of the, the, the great tight ends of, of football, Tony Gonzalez. And then look at, you know, Rob Gronkowski and look, you know, how amazing he was, but also look at how quickly he kind of flamed out. He got hurt. He needed to take a year off to be even marginally effective for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last season. I mean, for crying out loud, let's pick an at-home example, right? It can be easy to look at guys like Akeem Hicks and Bilal Nichols and other trench warriors. Like, let's focus defensive line for a second and see that, you know, Hicks, he got hurt last or in 2019. But outside of that, he's had a pretty clean bill of health. And then you don't realize how rare that is. Like, at one point, I remember when people were speculating about Eddie Goldman potentially retiring, which, look, we don't know till we know. But I know that my cohort, Bill Zimmerman, seems like he has a source It's very, very good to him. So I'll assume Eddie's coming back until he isn't. And then I went back and I looked because I thought to myself, you know, nobody would retire without reason to retire, right? Especially with that much guaranteed money on their contract and realized that Goldman, in his case, has had like three concussions. And it feels like it's really easy for guys sitting in the chair that I'm in, right? Having suffered one concussion way back in high school, and that was bad enough, to forget that Taylor Gabriel's career just about evaporated when he was, I mean, he was looking very, very good as a wide receiver because he had, what, his fourth concussion? And we've seen this with, uh, what's, what's the guy? Dallas. Help me out. Sean Lee. We've seen this Sean with Lee. Sean Lee. We've seen this yeah. with examples Jordan of all. All across the NFL. Exactly. Jordan Reed of concussions. I mean, you get, what do you think? Like probably about three or four. And at that point you're, you are one away from being flat out done. And that's if you're one of the most resilient players in the world, it seems as if there's some truth, like you're talking about to there's only so much the human body can take. And in, and we like to think of it, just calling it like it is that because a concussion is something that you can take a week off and get back on the field, that they don't have the lasting damage that say a shoulder tear does, but it's not really seeming that way. Is it? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it just comes back to, listen, we have evolved over the course of 20, 30 years and we're just smarter overall on how to take care of the human body and the long-term effects. And these guys realize that there is a life after football. You, you know, if you're 31 years old, you don't want to wake up every single day and take an hour to get out of bed, you know, like Jerome Bettis has talked about. And, and you want to be able to, you know, you know, hold your children and, you know, run with them on the playground and be able to, to have, you know, the, the, the second, third, fourth part of your life. And, and you don't want to have to be having these, these concussion issues lingering. We can go down a deep, dark rabbit hole, you know, and go down the Dave Durison roles and, and, and the junior sales and stuff like that. These guys don't want to do that. This is a game at the end of the day. And they've already put so much of their body on the line. And quite frankly, you know, as long as they've taken care of their money, they've made a ton of money. You have to do the right thing. You have to do the right thing for yourself physically, 
and, and also think about the people that that love you the most. And, and it goes deeper than concussions. It, it, it goes, you know, to, to knee injuries as well, or, or, or quads or, or, or hip injuries and stuff like that. These guys these days are smarter than ever when it comes to how to take care of their body, uh, what they put into their body, and the steps that they need to do to recover, to be there uh, every single week. And um, if they don't feel right, if they don't feel right long term, they should absolutely step away. I, I'm a firm believer in that. I know one thing that always stuck with me was, gosh, it must have been two years ago. The Bears released something about uh, uh, Allen Robinson's like week to week routine, like what he does to prepare for the next game day. And I and it started off on Monday with like an entire day focused on recovery. Like he takes an ice bath at this point and then he goes and he gets a deep tissue massage and then he takes another ice bath. And I didn't know how it didn't set in on me that just because you aren't on the injury report, you don't have something to recover from, but it can be easy to forget sometimes, right? Like you, you play something like a Madden or a FIFA video game and you forget that even just playing one game of football wears tremendously because the guys on the other team have to take hits from Roquan Smith and Akeem Hicks and Allen Robinson has to take hits from the other teams, Roquan Smith and Akeem Hicks for 60 minutes of football across about three hours. It's, it's a lot to wear on guys. And it's wild to think that like you're talking about in a day and age where people can recover from injuries that were that used to be thought of to be absolutely unrecoverable i mean the fact that alex smith started football games again is a modern miracle that athletes are walking away a little bit before they hit that precipice and i get it i mean you look at the older generation of football players the ones that i grew up watching right the tail end of like the 2000s era of football and they're mentioning to these younger guys what it's like to live with that penalty and it seems like a hefty price to pay it's probably for the best that people are handling it the way that they are absolutely absolutely i i applaud today's athlete the modern athlete who um has taken care of himself or herself uh, more and, and has invested, you know, more time and money into their body and their physical well-being, and knows when the right time, you know, to to step away, to walk away from the game, and live, you know, as much as as close to normal of a life as possible. Mm-hmm. Amen. Getting back to like the home front a little bit, I know mm-hmm. if there's one injury recovery that I think Bears fans are most locked into, it's probably not Tree Cohen, but Jalen Johnson, who has had repeated shoulder problems. I believe he plays with two braces, one on each shoulder at this point in his career. When it comes to coming back from what he's coming from, do you expect a full recovery? Do you think it's going to necessitate a change in play style just from what you've seen? And feel free to say if you're not, you know, a medical doctor, so you're not 100% locked in. Like any insight you have on Jalen Johnson would be really appreciated. Right. I would, I would say that shoulder injuries in general, have a, they have a high risk of, of re-injury. And I can always tell you that it's always going to be in the back of his mind about his past shoulder situations, and he's going to do whatever he can on the football field to protect his shoulder, take care of it, but also adrenaline kicks in. And, and you know, when, when there's a split second between I've got to take down this wide receiver, he's not going to be thinking about his shoulder too much. Um, the, the most I, I usually worry about in a, in a young guy's uh, situation like Jalen Johnson is just how is his range of motion doing? Um, because those things tend to get limited as you start to accumulate more shoulder injuries. Uh, but again, 
that comes down to I know he gets a I know he he um, he gets a ton of treatment on his shoulder. He gets you know he has the best of the best kind of working with him, and those are things that he probably knows that he's going to have to keep going with for the rest of his career. Um, and even in the back of his mind, I'm sure when he wakes up on a Monday after a game, that shoulder is going to be barking at him a little bit. I, I've I've had two tears in my shoulder personally, and um, you know depending on on the humidity or or just the day or if I kind of do any kind of overhead press a little weird, it just doesn't, it's just going to bother you. And those kind of things happen, but you know, he, he's not unlike any other, uh, you know, probably athlete in the NFL that, that has to deal with these things. Um, he's doing the right thing by, by wearing the brace. He's usually wearing the brace just because he doesn't want to hit that shoulder wrong and, and have uh, uh, you know, a, a real re-injury. If anything, the number one thing that worries me about Johnson is his play style. I mean, if this was Kyle Fuller that we were talking about, first off, I don't think we would be talking about shoulder issues because he doesn't like to play press. But press is one of Jalen's favorite ways to play football, and that obviously involves a lot of shoulder usage. And if a receiver moves the wrong way, it could create some sudden movements on the shoulder. I get how something could go wrong beyond just a tackle. So Hopefully for Johnson's case, that can get sorted out in a way that works for the fans, for the teams, and for him. Because if anything, like you talked about, it, it can be funny to remember sometimes that obviously getting the shoulder injury sorted is Jalen Johnson's number one priority because he's focused on trying to get that second contract, whether it's with the Bears or wherever. Obviously, all of us Bears fans would love to see him blossom and get that second contract here. That Not that anyone needs to hear it. He's as focused as anyone else is, if not way more focused on getting this thing figured out so hopefully the best or the best happens for him you know absolutely when you look at this bears team is there anybody that from a physical perspective that we haven't talked about yet anybody stick out to you in terms of they could make a jump that might not be noticed by others oh that's a good question let me think i you know i think everybody's going with kind of the the obvious answer of, of roquan smith um, you know, to me, I would actually look at a guy like, um, like Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack to be, to be, uh, to be honest with you. The reason why I look at both of them is because I think, I think both players saw their production dip a little bit last year. I think both football players weren't healthy last year. And I think, you know, I'm an old guy, Robert, I, I'm 39 years old and, and <laughs> If, if you get an injury or something like that, it, it just lingers for a while and you just tend to feel like crap a little bit longer than normal and, and the recovery time is a, is a little rough. But I think those two guys, and they're in their early 30s right now, if Robert Quinn is even 30 yet, I'm not sure. But I think a lot of people are going to be selling them short right now in terms of the kind of production that they can give. I think Robert Quinn, uh, I think that foot injury really bothered him last year as a pass rusher. We go all the way back to what we talked about in the first segment, being explosive right off the line of scrimmage. Um, if you don't have that first step and you can't trust that as a pass rusher, you are, you're garbage. You, you, yep. you're, you're not giving anything of value to your football team. And I think we saw that with him last year. I think the Bears and, and Quinn were being very coy uh, about his situation. I expect both of those guys, uh, along with um, Eddie Goldman coming back to help them out, to be a lot more explosive this year as they're healthy. And you, I think you're going to see the production value really go up for both of them. 
And I mean, you bring up a great point, right? I did I did a whole analysis on Quinn, and his game is speed rush, speed rush, and he has a backup speed rush. He does mm-hmm. one thing and one thing only. And when you get a foot injury, especially if memory serves, it was his right foot, which is likely his dominant foot because he likes that right side. <laughs> Where's that speed go? And I get it. I mean, if you can play, you want to pick up those game checks, right? Like you're not just going to walk onto the physically unable to play list for fun. So you're going to play and hope that maybe the LT just falls over, loses his balance. Weirder things have happened. Quinn still picked up two sacks, which is not saying much. It's more to say that that's two more sacks than he would have gotten on the PUP list. And he got the money that his contract said he would. But it is interesting to talk about because if he can come back stronger, I mean, Khalil Mack had a banner season. He had the quietest great season I think I've ever seen in football which hasn't been a ton of years to be fair only about 13 plenty of people out football me but for as many guys as Khalil Mack was beating on the line of scrimmage as many double teams as he was sawing through it just didn't make a difference because Akeem Hicks was up and down Goldman obviously opted out Quinn was offering next to nothing injury or just play I don't know why he would degrade quite so much from Dallas to Chicago outside of maybe turf but yeah, Mac is definitely one that whether he was injured or not last year, if he can repeat that level of play, I expect his numbers to even out a little bit more because that same guy we saw dominate the Tampa Bay game played the entire season. And that was the only game that it really showed itself, which has to be a bummer for him. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I, I expect both guys to be kind of at the top or at, you know, top uh, echelon in the league in terms of premier pass rushing duels just because I think they're going to be a lot healthier and more explosive. And, and, you know, as I think of one more guy just on the other side of the football, I expect in year two, Darnell Mooney to just be a, a, a smarter football player and a guy that knows that he's probably one of the fastest guys on the field to just kind of use that speed and dynamic athleticism to not, not necessarily blow the top off the defense every single time, but know when to get to your spot and know when to get there right away and allow the quarterback to deliver a dime right into him. I mean, it's wild to watch, like you're talking about, what raw athletic ability looks like when it's raw, right, versus when it's directed. I think you brought up the perfect example. Roquan Smith is probably not going to take a big step forward this next year because he already did. I mean, 2020 was a phenomenal year for Roquan Smith because we saw him know how to get to his zones, know how to cover players. I mean, we watched, I remember it's in week six, it sticks out to me. On a key third down, like in the third quarter of the game, if memory serves, Roquan shadowed DJ Moore on a crossing route over the middle that no linebacker should stick with a wide receiver on. Like that's just, that's out of, that's mind boggling for what a linebacker used to do back in the days where Erlacher was one of the fastest fastest in the game. Nowadays, mm-hmm. it seems like every team's trying to find that Erlacher-esque linebacker like Devin White, like Roquan Smith, and maybe they're giving up a little bit of the violence Erlacher brought, because I remember he's a little bit bigger, but you get the idea. When it comes to Mooney, it will be really interesting to see what he can do in terms of drawing defenders' eyes, because like you're talking about, raw speed is one thing, but when at least you can threaten to blow the defense or the defense's top off, then a dig route after about a 15 yard stem or something gets a lot more dangerous because maybe you've taken the safety's eyes. Maybe you've gotten that little bit of extra attention. 
the more guys that we have on this offense, we being the bears that can draw extra attention, the better, the easier it makes a guy like Kmet's job, because at that point he's getting to settle into zones uncovered to potentially pick up yardage. I really think Ross, if there's one thing I did want to say about Kmet, cause I know t- conversation on him about him has just been popping all over Twitter is that sometimes a tight end can make his money just off of being the guy who didn't really get covered by anybody else. And now he's open for eight yards. That feels like it was Jason Witten's entire career in Dallas. I watched it. I was here. Jason Witten never looked extraordinarily physically impressive. He just got to the right spot. And you need the guy like Darnell Mooney. You need the guy like Allen Robinson, the people who open things up for Jason Witten. But then if Jason Witten, or in this case, again, hopefully Cole Kmet cashes in on the easy ones. It reopens things for Darnell Mooney in the seams and so on and so forth. It seems like a cycle. If Darnell can be a positive cog in that cycle, the bears have might have a shot to be dangerous, hopefully with fields under center. Yeah, I completely agree. Listen, I know everybody wants Cole Kmet to be the, 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 the busted down the seams tight end, but listen, if he's the guy that's going to be able to physically manhandle you and get to a spot and catch the football and then do some good things after the catch with the football using his strength without, you know, fumbling it, putting it on the ground or, or not having any drops. And then when you get into the red zone, again, using that size and that strength, and he's got good leaping ability to be able to be a great red zone target for touchdowns, sign me up for that, you know, every day of the week. That's just a good football player that's going to be around for a long time. You know, he doesn't have to always be explosive with the fastest tight end on the field to justify the top of a second-round pick. You know, if if he's going to be a very, very good quality pro, that's still a guy that can actually, you know, end up being a Pro Bowl football player for you. It's so funny, speaking of, I still remember back uh, maybe three years ago, I was looking at like top 10 tight end rankings. And everybody right nowadays is, they're comparing everybody to, at the time it was Ertz and Kelsey. Now it's Kittle and Kelsey. One of these days it'll be Kittle and somebody else. And so everybody can get compared to the Greg Olsons, the the Zach Ertzes, the guys who dominate in fantasy football. But we forget that like the eighth or ninth best tight end in football caught like 400 yards or maybe 500 like the the 10th out of 32 teams the tight end receivers are not near as common as i do feel like people are are talking about it as if they are and i get it most of the people that don't like cole Komet are still mad we didn't draft antoine winfield or chase claypool and it's more about wh- who could we have gotten i get it but like you're talking about not everybody is like Cole Komet in this case. It's not necessarily a bad player just because I remember I went back and watched some rookie film on Kittle yesterday. Oh my word, Ross Kittle is explosive and always has been. He doesn't move like a tight end. He moves like more of a wide receiver that is just really large. I mean, credit to him. Cole's never going to be that probably. I mean, that's an explosiveness that I just don't think he has. Travis Kelsey didn't even have it. At this point, Travis Kelsey's much more savvy with his routes than I think people give him credit for and a lot more physical than we can remember because we keep confusing him for Ertz, who who played more like that wide receiver. The the Komet conversation is one of those that the more I'm listening to it, the more I feel like we're just going to need to let the season happen. And either he's going to become a 300-yard guy or less, and everybody's going to be disappointed, 
or he'll rise up into that 400, 500 yard region. I'm not expecting 800 yards, but he may vindicate himself this season. I would love to see it because, and you're kind of hinting at this based on our conversation. It sounds as if a guy who had no training camp and no, nothing other than a virtual off season would gain a lot of benefit out of a full professional off season coming into his second year as a tight end. Fair to say? Fair to say. I mean, I think a lot of people forget that these are still very young men. It's a very hard transition to go from. Uh, you're going to see a lot better football player this year in Cole Komet just because he's going to be a lot more comfortable. And um, I, I think we owe him the benefit of the doubt for now to, to let's see him with a full season underneath his belt. And, um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be a, a, a very dynamic football player for most of his career. But I do think he'll be a consistent football player for most of his career. And to be honest with you, I, I, I think, you know, that's that's more than enough. That's more than you can really ask for. Sounds right to me. Ross, thank you so much for jumping on the show. Where can folks find your work online? Thank you so much. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ross Reed, R-E-A-D. Um, I host some podcasts as well, Mac and Reed podcasts. We are on um I, uh, iTunes and uh, Spotify and SoundCloud as well. Thank you so much, man. Great having you on. Thank you. Have a good one. And folks, that about wraps this episode up. If you like what I have to say, feel free to follow me over on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz and check out my YouTube channel fairly soon for some breakdown content coming up as we head into the season. But until next time, Bears fans, bear down. And thanks so much for bearing with me. <laughs>